I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment to give me your thoughts about the previous year on the Lutheran Cartographer, what you liked and what could be improved. If you could go to lutherancartographer.com slash 2020 survey, I'd appreciate it. Let's get into the show. The Lutheran Cartographer, episode 54. Welcome to the Lutheran Cartographer, the podcast where we explore what it's like to be Lutheran in different places. I'm your host, Nicholas Weber. Today we are going to Minneapolis, Minnesota to talk to Pastor David Kind of the University Lutheran Chapel there. Pastor Kind, welcome to the show. Thank you. Wonderful to be here today. So help orient our listeners geographically. We're in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Minnesota. Where exactly is that in the country? Well, we're right sort of smack dab in the center of the of the country, uh, but far to the north. <laughs> so uh, if you're looking at Minnesota, um, it'd be the uh, sort of southeastern section of Minnesota. But uh, country-wise, we're, we're in the great flyover zone. Um, and oftentimes, Minneapolis is sort of a halfway point in the flyover from one coast to the other. <laughs> We also call it the Great White North. It's it's rather Siberia-like sometimes. Alrighty, and Minneapolis and Saint Paul they are bisected by the Mississippi, right? Kind of, yes. Um, it's not a strict division, but uh, the Mississippi River does run run through both cities. Good deal. So let's talk a little bit more about Minneapolis Saint Paul. What do you like best about the area? You know, just speaking in terms of the city itself. Um, I really like that there's sort of this uh, island of of uh, urbanism in the midst of the, the uh, you know, great Midwest plains. Um, so the cities have a lot to offer culturally, uh, you know, great orchestras, uh, shopping, plays, uh, good park system. It's really a, it's a nice place to live. I think it's usually counted in some, some of the top cities to live in in the U.S., um, it tends to be uh, relatively clean because it's north and it's cold most of the year. Um, and uh, a good place, it's known as a good place to raise families. Uh, it's the, the center to which uh, several states around us tend to, uh, the people tend to come here when they graduate from college because this is where a lot of the jobs are. So it's ever-changing in that sense, people people are constantly moving in and moving out as well. Um, so pretty vibrant place in, in terms of population and culture. I've enjoyed living here for that reason. Not a huge fan of the cold. Uh, we get long winters and uh, bitterly cold sometimes in the winter for long stretches. But uh, I do like I do like the city life. Excellent. Let's go on and talk a little bit more about some of those challenges. You've mentioned the bitter winters. Say a little bit more about that and maybe some other challenges to living in the Twin Cities that people should be aware of. Yeah, well, it's, if you don't like the cold, um, you know, you probably don't want to move here. <laughs> if people, people find it's a beautiful place in summer. And uh, lots to do outdoors and lots. But if you're not a if you if you're a person who gets down by the winter, um, both the the northern climb and the bitter cold that we get can make it make it challenging. Uh, a lot of people up here have taken up winter sports uh, to sort of have a hearty Scandinavian Germanic 
sense about them that they're not going to let the the cold and the snow and the um, and such and the darkness get them down, but just embrace it. Um, and that's usually the best way to go about it. Um, but uh, we do have, you know, probably a higher than normal uh, seasonal affective disorder population um, hmm. that really struggle in winter here too. So um, that can be a challenge for people. But if you don't mind it, um, I just look at it as it's just part of the cycle of life here. And uh, you, you grumble as you go through it, but it also kind of makes you tough. And, uh, you know, so we, we, uh, we laugh at people who put on winter coats when it's above, you know, 20 degrees, that sort of thing. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. I, strangely, I found uh, winter in Minneapolis, St. Paul easier than here in the Northwest just because there, while you're quite right about the bitter cold, I found that there were more sunny days than there were here in Seattle. So that at least made life a little more tolerable for me. But I suppose it would it would definitely depend on the person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's true. You definitely get more, more clouds and rain than we do. Absolutely. Let's go back and talk a little bit more about you and your background and where you came, how you came to University Lutheran, so people can get a sense of, of where you've been before. Sure. Well, I did my undergraduate work at the University of Minnesota, and it was as an undergrad that um, I uh, became more serious about my Christian faith, and I actually got involved in the church of which I'm now pastor as a student, uh, which is University Lutheran Chapel, the campus ministry to the U of M. Uh, I had no intention of going into the ministry uh, when I was a student here initially until my own campus pastor kind of got a hold of me and started saying, you know, you should think about seminary study and we need good pastors and you know, I think you've got skills in that, that area, etc. And I fought it for a good year and a half. Um, but finally, I decided to give it a shot, see what seminary was like, and uh, I was, you know, it was a good experience overall. Found I loved theology, um, loved the idea of serving in the church, and uh, having having a life's work that had not just earthly implications but eternal implications. That was really what clinched it for me. And you know, what do you want your life to be about? And I couldn't think of another way to. Uh, you know, to have the kind of impact eternally that I do being a pastor. I think there are other ways to do that now, of course, but at the time, this was the, the driving force. Uh, so I went to seminary and uh, miraculously graduated and was accepted into the ministry um, and uh, served for a little while in a small parish in southern Minnesota and then served back at the seminary as a recruiter. And it was while I was a recruiter that University of Lutheran Chapel called me to come back to be the campus pastor, um, which was kind of a uh, a neat thing, you know, to be called back to the place where you started and to be able to have the kind of influence that my campus pastor had on me, on other students. So I'm, I've been here for 19 years now. Okay. So University Lutheran was in the news quite a bit about nine years ago with there was some issue with your campus. Are you now settled at a new location? We are. We just completed a building project uh, a year ago. It still feels like it's not done because COVID hit and <laughs> we haven't been able to enjoy it the way we expected. But, but thanks be to God, we have a church. Yeah, it was a real joy to uh, reestablish our footprint, so to speak, right by the university campus so we could continue our, our outreach to the students. That is wonderful. Let's go back a bit and talk about 
you've mentioned you've been in some of the other places the other places you've been southwestern minnesota going off to seminary what kind of contrast would you draw between where you are now and the other places that you've been Oh, it's a it's a big contrast, actually. I mean, the parishes I served in southern Minnesota, I had a dual parish, wonderful folks, uh, but it was a farming community, uh, you know, mostly agriculturally driven, um, and sort of your, well, what I would call a typical typical Midwestern Lutheran parishes, where it's mainly uh, church on Sunday, and uh, you know, visit. Then the pastor's main job during the week is to visit people in the hospital and, and shut-ins. Um, not a whole lot of opportunities to teach, uh, you know, in-depth Bible studies or, or taco studies or anything along that sort. Um, not a whole lot of outreach opportunities in the community simply because they're, they're not growing. They're shrinking communities, and the people that are there generally are either already attached to a church or have you know, been around the block a few times. So, uh, or as opposed to working at the university, uh, in the university area and in the city, um, you have just a, a completely different setting. Now, at the heart of it, of course, it's still all about the proclamation of the gospel and the, the giving of the sacraments, you know, people gathering around those for the divine service. But alongside of that, things are are just much more vibrant where, where I'm at now. I have opportunities to teach at many levels and from several different angles, multiple times a week. I have, uh, you know, a constant turnover in population, both student population and non-student population, just because of the, you know, sort of the transitory nature of the city. So uh, in that sense, it's, you know, there's, there's always people to talk to uh, about the gospel and uh, always opportunities for the church to to make its mark, so to speak. That makes sense. What's it like raising a family in the Twin Cities? Um, it can be challenging. Uh, it's it's tends to be a fairly family friendly place in terms of amenities. Uh, like I said, there's there's great museums and cultural things, and there's a lot of things to do. Um, but in terms of worldview, uh, it's very much has, is a, is a liberal city, um, both not just politically so, but, but morally and culturally so. Um, so to raise a, raise a child here, you have to be aware of those, those, uh, cultural messages that are constantly going to be bombarding that child. And you have to do sort of everything in your power to, to lay out the truth and, and to live according to it so that, you know, they're brought up in the way they should go, um, which is increasingly countercultural. Yeah, it can be uh, definitely a difficult thing. Are there educational options like LCMS schools in the area? Uh, there are a few. Um, those seem to be, to those opportunities are, are, I suppose, like I imagine everywhere, are increasingly rare as schools struggle to, to make ends meet. Um, homeschooling is an option for many Christians here. Uh, we also have a pretty strong charter school program, uh, which uh, 
in in Minnesota and I'm sure they work other places. They're they're public schools, but they're run under a separate charter for specific purposes. Uh, and some of those can be quite good. Um, but uh, and and we have a you know a strong public school system in terms of sort of you know recognition that it's you get a good quality education there. But in in terms of it being accepting of Christian values uh, and promoting things contrary to Christian thought, um, it would be something that, that I would struggle with sending a child to. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So tell us a little bit more about what it's like to be Lutheran there. When people think of Minnesota, they often think Lutheran, but it's not usually the LCMS Lutherans in, in Minnesota, is it? No, you hit it right on the head. This is the bastion of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Um, there's, uh, you know, people think of this as a Lutheran area, but it's it's really an ELCA area uh, in terms of uh, more Orthodox uh, Lutherans like uh, the Missouri Synod, the Wisconsin Synod, the ELS. They're numerous here too, but very much in the minority. So when you say you're Lutheran up here, everybody assumes you're ELCA. Mm. Uh, and then you say, no, no, I'm Missouri. Then he'll, oh, you're one of those Lutherans. <laughs> so, um, which, again, uh, you know, the, the culture here, I've talked about the, the growth of, of sort of a liberal mindset. I don't think that could happen here without the complicity of the, of the ELCA. And, and actually, some of the more liberal churches driving some of that just because of, of the numbers of EOC Lutherans that are, that are present here. So to be a confessionally minded Lutheran here is countercultural in many ways. It's not simply the secular culture that, that you're running counter to. It's also the church culture. That makes sense. How do you begin to, to deal with that or train your congregants to address that? Well, I don't think it's a, a whole lot different than, than, uh, teaching them to be confessors of the faith anywhere. Um, you do a lot of catechesis, a lot of teaching. Um, and uh, oftentimes you have to address directly. Um, people are saying this is Lutheran, but it's really not, right, uh, in terms mm-hmm. of the false ideas. And uh, you, have to, you have to sort of arm them so that they can see the differences and then why it matters, right? Because it all comes down to some very fundamental approaches to to uh, both our, our creed and our, and our way of life, uh, you know, rooted in what does it mean to have the Holy Scriptures and, uh, you know, what authority does that have over us? Let's turn to current events or somewhat current events. Back in the summer, there were the Floyd riots in, in Minneapolis. What was it like there? Was it quite a, a big problem or was it centered in certain areas of town? Uh, it was tense. Um, the, uh, the riots were, were sort of centered in the, in the uh, more uh, uh, ethnically concentrated areas of the city, some of the more economically challenged areas of the city as well, um, you know, where, where, uh, the, where the population of uh, African-Americans and, and others uh, who, who, have a sense of being uh, disenfranchised or, or uh, um, mistreated 
live. So, so most of the rioting uh, that was violent, you know, with arson and crime and such on the rise happened in those neighborhoods. But the protests, which always had the potential of becoming violent, were quite widespread. Um, so even though our church is located in a, a different part of the city, right, we're by the university, um, we had protests that went right by the church on the street and uh, thankfully never turned violent. Um, but, you know, we're quite vocal and even belligerent to some of our Christian students and things like that, but not physically so. Hmm. Okay. But it was a tense time for everybody. I mean, we have people that, that live in those areas that were affected who were members of our church. And some of them fled the city for a few weeks. Um, some of them had to set up their own policing system in their neighborhood because the police were simply not responding to anything uh, except the riots themselves. Uh, and then you have all of the talk of reduction of police force or even disbanding the police force. Uh, it's really caused a lot of unrest and turmoil um, for everyone. And uh, so it's not just the riots themselves, but sort of the whole political mindset around uh, the riots and what caused them. Hmm. And And as you said, this is a very blue city, and so I'm sure that a lot of those things went a lot further than many people were comfortable with. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, entire areas of the city were destroyed. Um, my wife and I took a, a drive down the street a few weeks after, and it was like driving through a third world country, mm. um, you know, after disaster. It was really quite um, shocking, as it were. Um, but it also provided the church opportunity to, to be involved and to try to uh, give some humanitarian aid in those areas and do some outreach in those areas, which I think was a positive thing for us. Um, so we you know, took a group of people down, and another church was sponsoring an event. We helped canvas the neighborhood with them and talked to people about what was going on and how their experience has been. And by, you know, by far, the people we talked to um, were, were victims of of the rioting and the situation, uh, much more so than, than participants or even supporters of what was going on. Wow. So a few weeks ago, we had Pastor Bennett on the show, who's serving down in Willow Creek, Minnesota, and he was talking about some of the coronavirus restrictions and how draconian they were in, in Minnesota. Has that changed at all in the last couple of weeks, or is it still pretty locked down for you folks? Uh, certain areas are still fairly locked down. There, there are going to be easing restrictions, I'm told, next week uh, on some things like restaurants and gyms and such. Uh, initially, the restrictions against churches were, were quite quite firm and draconian. Um, and uh, for a while, we, we bucked those restrictions uh, and then decided to give in to them for a little bit to give the governor, to try to play nice with the government, basically, and and give them the chance to do what they wanted to do, which was to uh, give the hospitals more time to acquire equipment and supplies. Uh, but then it, it lengthened out well beyond that, and that's when it got kind of draconian. Like, what is the purpose of this with regard to churches, at least? Um, you know, are we trying to 
give the hospitals time to, to deal with this virus and to be equipped to help people? Or are we trying to stop everyone from getting sick, which is really, you know, it's like trying to push water. Uh, it's a virus. It's going to, it's going to make its way around eventually. So I think, um, things have eased up here quite a bit and, uh, that's been good. There are still those though who are, who are terrified and, uh, you know, aren't leaving their homes, um, uh, and uh, I'm sure it's that way in any urban area that, um, you know, it's, it's quite a uh, quite a response um, to this thing that, that I find somewhat surprising, too. Yeah, it's an interesting question because the corporate press certainly has stoked the fear as much as they possibly can. And it becomes at a point difficult, I think, to push back against that as people have learned to trust them at least in certain areas and so what do we do when our members are cowering in fear over what they've heard on the radio or on the television right right and that's that's been a a challenge i think for churches all over the country um how do we best um strengthen people in their faith and uh you know sort of help them gird up the loins yeah Absolutely. Let's take a moment for a word from our sponsor. Thank you so much for a great 2020 and for listening to The Lutheran Cartographer. It's been a great year. I've learned a lot of things about podcasting, and I'm sure you have some feedback for me as well, good and bad. I would appreciate it if you take a few moments of your time to go to lutherancartographer.com slash 2020 survey to let me know what you liked and what you didn't and be sure and vote for your favorite episode as well. Thank you. Again, that's lutherancartographer.com slash 2020 survey. Thank you again. So now since you serve at a university, or I should say your ministry is to university students, I want to ask you about what your thoughts are about the future of higher education. As we increasingly see more and more of our children coming out of these universities being radicalized in the progressive, kind of as the new progressive stormtroopers, as it were, how do you think Christian parents should respond? Do you think that the university still should have a place in Christian education where we send our children? Or do you think that parents should not send their children to university? Well, I think that the university is not going to go away. It's simply um, too uh, influential a part of, of our system, so to speak. You know, if you want to get a high-paying job in a certain field, you have to have a degree. Um, until that that uh, really changes. This is going to be part of the, the normal experience for most, uh, you know, most high school graduates. Um, of course, there is a rise in the trades as well, uh, of people encouraging others to go in that direction. But that doesn't appeal to everybody. Um, and we do need we do need a, uh, an educated, well-educated populace. I believe um, the question that that. Uh, is always in my mind is uh, the influence of sort of the, the, the leftist um, uh, mindset at the university and how do we overcome that or change that culture? Uh, I don't, I don't pretend to have an answer to that question. Um, I do think that uh, it's inevitable that 
people are going to want to send their kids to school uh, because of the benefits that that provides. However, I think they have to balance that with um, with the dangers that are inherent in that. And this is why I see campus ministry as so vitally important, is that we provide a, a place of stability and truth in the midst of a, a, a campus community that that is living according to the delusions of, of, of what they believe to be true um, and what they believe to be good, right? So uh, you have to, when you're looking at a school to send your child to, you have to look and say, where can I, where can I send them that will provide them uh, a bedrock upon which to stand and grow in the midst of a, a culture that's going to challenge them at the very basic levels of of personhood and creed um, and, uh, you know, good and evil, that sort of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's dive a little more into this. And let's say that you've got a parent who has a a son who is gifted, let's say, in engineering. And it's clear that that's a direction that he wants to go and he wants to pursue that career. And as you just mentioned, that that really requires at this point, at least, a university degree. What would you say, you've already mentioned making sure that there's a, a, a church or a ministry to plug into. What what would be your walkthrough to that that parent in kind of a pastoral way to make sure that their their son ends up in a good place. Yeah, well, I think I think one thing would be to uh, you know when you visit the campus, be sure to visit the church, get to know the pastor a little bit, uh, perhaps you know have lunch or coffee with him, um, and uh, introduce your student to that to that leader uh, who's going to be hopefully caring for them spiritually during their you know during their sojourn at the university. That's that's probably the most important thing is to connect with them and provide that campus ministry with, uh, you know, email and phone number and you know Facebook connection, whatever to that to that child, so that uh, there can be, uh, you know, points of contact um, and hopefully multiple points of contact with them. Um, as a campus pastor, the, the greatest challenge we have is simply knowing what students are on campus and you know, are, are these kids from a Lutheran church or not? You know. Uh, I've got you know, it's a campus of over 50,000 students. If someone doesn't tell me their child is there, I have no way of discovering that unless they happen to see our church or one of our outreach events and visit. Um, so I think being very proactive about making that connection is important. Um, but more important is that you raise your children uh, firmly in the faith and make it part of your day-to-day life so that when they get to college, this isn't uh, a strange thing to them that they that they live as Christians, uh, but that they but that they seek out the fellowship of other Christians, that they seek out the things of Christ, uh, rather than it being you know oh my parents dragged me to this campus ministry and I guess I got to go there once a semester when mom visits to show that I've been to church you know that kind of thing. Um, so really establishing a Christian a strong Christian ethos in your children uh, from the get go is is the key thing to making sure they can survive the college experience. Now, it's interesting you, you mentioned an engineering student because I think our engineering students are probably in uh, one of the areas of university life, at least at the University of Minnesota, that is the least affected by the liberal culture of the university um, because it tends to deal with concrete things, 
right? I mean, there's there's truth about you know how much how much load a structure can take, or what the force physical physical forces are going to be on something, or how how electricity moves through a circuit, right? I mean, you can't you can't depart from what is actually <laughs> real in those cases and be successful. So those students tend to to have the I think the least amount of challenge. Um, at least in terms of classroom experience and interaction with their professors and such to their Christian faith. Uh, it's when you're in the liberal arts that you find you know, direct challenges to the Christian uh, worldview. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. So is there anything else before we move into our questions about things to see and places to to? go to and that sort of thing. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you wish that I'd ask about or that you'd like to say about the university experience or about Minneapolis, St. Paul in general? Well, just in, in general that, um, yeah, I think your listeners are, are looking at Lutheranism, uh, in different places. It's important to recognize what kind of Lutheranism you're talking about. That's one of the clearest things up here. And we touched on that early, but there is just a vast difference between, uh, sort of the EOCA majority Lutheranism and and confessionally minded biblically based Lutheranism. So being aware of those differences and the importance of them is extremely important. Uh, I think that's probably the main thing that I'd want to reemphasize. That makes sense. So now let's talk about if you have a friend coming into a town, what things to do or places to eat would you say? Ah, you got to go check this out. Ah, well, assuming that there's no COVID restrictions. <laughs> oh, God willing, it ends uh, soon. Yeah, yeah. There are there are things here that are pretty amazing for a Midwestern city. We have an absolutely fantastic art museum um, that if, if you have a friend who's into the arts, it is well worth seeing. Uh, world-renowned collections in Asian art. And uh, even some medieval and early church type things that are that are really outstanding, um, as well as modern art, of course, which uh, is is always you know a feature of most museums nowadays. Uh, if you're into modern art, there's a there's actually a really uh, top notch sort of uh, experimental modernist artist museum here as well that is separate from the main museum, uh, and that's a that's a something that a lot of people want to visit because it's just so weird. Um, and uh, there's a sculpture garden attached to that, which is sort of iconic for Minneapolis-St. Paul, where you have this giant spoon with a cherry on it that uh, has kind of become a symbol of the cities. That's attached to this museum called the Walker Art Museum. Um, so that's that's worth going. Plus, they have a really cool sort of avant-garde putt-putt course on the roof, <laughs> which is a lot of fun to play. Um, so if you're into the arts, there's a couple of great options there. We also have a Russian art museum, which uh, has a lot of religious works of art from, from the Russia that are really cool. Um, so a lot of little things like that. And then some big things, you know, like a big museum and a lot of little ones that are worthwhile. Um, we have a wonderful music scene. Uh, there's a vibrant uh, early music community here, as well as a jazz community that is worthwhile. We have a really good opera in St. Paul, um, which doesn't get as much press as I think it should. My wife and I were in Italy 
uh, a summer ago, my son too. And uh, we went to an opera in Florence, um, which was good. But I left that opera saying, you know what? Our opera in St. Paul is actually better than this, which surprised me. Um, Because, you know, you're in Italy, you think this is is where it all is. This is the pinnacle. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I mean, it wasn't La Scala in Milan, but it was right up there. Um, And St. Paul's Opera was just as good. We've got a fantastic orchestra in Minneapolis if you want symphonic music. Uh, We have a wonderful chamber orchestra in St. Paul that is also world-renowned. So arts-wise, there's just a lot going on. And uh, music-wise, a lot going on, which which is a lot of fun. Um, restaurants, boy, there's so many that are good. I love to stroll along uh, Hennepin Mall downtown, which is sort of a, a walking, shopping, eating district um, right in the heart of the city. And uh, there's a wonderful British pub there called Brit's Pub uh, that that is a great place to go in and get a pint and sort of feel like you're stepping into um, a, a London pub. Um, it's too big to be a country pub. <laughs> so has to be a London pub. Uh, uh, there's, there's another an Irish pub down the street from that called the local, which has great food and uh, sort of a neat atmosphere. Um, there's a lot of brew pubs. If you're into beers, there's some, some upscale dining along that area. That's worthwhile. Uh, Manny's restaurant is, is known for, uh, you know, the sort of, Fifty to a hundred dollars steaks. If you've got a thick wallet, um, I've never been there myself, <laughs> but I hear it's very good. Um, there's also a whole area of town called Uptown, which tends to be more on the uh, the uh, edgy side of things. Um, they have some great restaurants. Uh, there's one called uh, Chino Latino, which is a lot of fun. Uh, it's uh, Latin-based dishes, but not, not Mexican food, but South American uh, more so. Um, just a cool atmosphere. Um, and uh, then if you're in Uptown, of course, there's a wonderful series of parks around three big lakes that are all connected by uh, uh, walking, biking paths. Um, there's beaches on each of them. Uh, in winter, you'll see people uh, skiing on them or... or uh, uh, going out on ice boats, I forget what they're called, um, sort of catamarans that go on the ice uh, and uh, playing hockey and that sort of thing out there. Um, so a lot of neat things to do just in the city itself. Um, we, of course, have major sporting venues. So if you're into baseball, football, hockey, uh, well, not hockey, surprisingly. Um, baseball, well, we do have hockey. Baseball, football, hockey, basketball, soccer, um, you know, all of the major leagues are here too, um, as well as, as minor league stuff if you want a smaller venue and sort of just go out for the fun of the game. Nice. So there's a lot to do here. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. All righty. So as we start to close out the podcast, Pastor Kind, I want to make sure that I give you the opportunity to point our listeners where you would like, places to follow you online, your church's website. Where would you like to point our listeners? Sure. Um, the main place would be our church's website, I think, which is uh, ULC, as in University Lutheran Chapel, MN for Minnesota, dot com, ULCMN.com. Um, that's the best place to, to connect with our church and find out what's going on. Um, also, you can, you can connect with me through there. 
Um, I'm pretty active on Facebook as well. So uh, my Facebook page is public. Anybody can visit it anytime. Uh, feel free to uh, shoot me a note or a friend be there, and, and uh, we can touch base that way as well. Um, we don't do a whole lot in terms of uh, YouTube at this point or, or video uh, type stuff, but uh, those would be the two main places, I would say. Excellent. They're, or just visit in person, you know? Absolutely. Love to meet face-to-face, too. Yeah. So there will be links to all that stuff on the show notes page. That will be lutherancartographer.com slash 54, dear listener. If you'd like to check those out, I encourage you to do so. Pastor Kahn, thank you again for your time today. What are your parting thoughts for our listeners? Well, I think it's it, it's great to uh, have the opportunity to see what Lutherans are doing around the U.S. And um, I'm sure you're going to be hearing from uh, solid Lutheran pastors a lot of similar similar things and that's important because the gospel is the same everywhere we go. Uh, we all need to gather around Christ and his means of grace, his word, his sacrament. That's at the heart of everything. Um, the, uh, a lot of the other stuff is, is window dressing. Um, so, uh, look for what's most important and, uh, the rest will work itself out. Absolutely. Thank you. God's peace. All right. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Lutheran Cartographer. For more about the things that we talked about today, check out the show notes page at lutherancartographer.com slash 54. I'd really appreciate hearing your feedback about the show this year, what episodes you liked the best, things that you liked and didn't like about the show. You can give me your feedback at lutherancartographer.com slash 2020 survey doesn't take that long to fill out, I'd really appreciate it if you'd give me a few minutes of your time to do that. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on Stitcher or on iTunes so that you don't miss, miss an episode. And until next time, I'm Nicholas Weber. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.